Welcome to the Inclusive Growth Show with Toby Milden. Future-proofing your business by creating a diverse workplace. Hey there, thank you ever so much for tuning into this episode of the Inclusive Growth Podcast. I am Toby Milden, and today I'm joined by an amazing guest. His name is Ed Warner, and Ed is the co-founder and chief executive of MotionSpot. And MotionSpot is a leading inclusive design consultancy who work with some really interesting clients, which we're going to hear about in today's episode, and doing some really interesting projects around inclusive design. So, Ed, it's it's uh, lovely to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us. Great to be with you, Toby. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. So, Ed, before we kind of dive into the, the main questions, could you just give us a bit more of an introduction to yourself and what Motion Spot is all about, please? Sure. So, I'm, I'm Ed Warner. I'm co-founder and CEO of the inclusive design business Motion Spot. I set the business up. 11 years ago now after the experience of an old school friend of mine and our co-founder James Taylor who was paralyzed in a diving accident age 25. James spent eight months in Stoke Mandeville Hospital before returning to his apartment in Battersea, South London to live his life as an independent wheelchair user except he found that his once beautiful home had turned into something that resembled more like a clinical care home. Um, And it was his experience of his environment and the products around him that inspired me to leave my job and and inspired him to help and support to launch a business that really looks at the design of the built environment in a different way. And fast forward 11 years, we're now working with businesses across the UK, but also around the world to help them understand how to design really beautiful, accessible and inclusive buildings and spaces for everybody. That's really interesting. And I know when I talk to organisations about inclusive design or accessibility, their mind usually immediately goes to, do we have ramps for wheelchair users or lifts? If you're lucky, they might be talking about induction loops at the reception desk. But the thing is, inclusive design and accessibility is a lot broader than that. So when it comes to inclusive design, you know, why do we need to think more holistically beyond physical accessibility? Well, firstly, inclusive design is all about removing the barriers that cause undue stress and separation for people within a building or a space. And traditionally, buildings and and spaces have been designed to suit minimum standards of building regulations, whether that be in the UK or US or anywhere around the world, there are local uh, building codes that uh, designers and developers need to follow. The problem with those building codes is many of them were written as long as 10 years ago now, and, and, and those codes and regulations mostly focus around design for physical disability, in particular wheelchair users. But in reality, only 8% of disabled people are wheelchair users. So the conversations we have with our clients is around how do you design for the 8%, which is where so many of the conversations around design have tended to be, as you say, ramps and lifts and wheelchair accessible toilets. But also, how do you design for the 92% of people who may have another physical, cognitive, sensory need 
design for neurodiversity is a massive driver of our conversations with clients at the moment as many more people are disclosing conditions that they weren't previously telling their employer about necessarily. But design, inclusive design is not just about design for disability, it's also considering all protected characteristics. So again, conversations we have with clients around how can you make your office accessible for for disabled employees, but also for someone of different faith, ethnic background, culture, age and, and gender. This is really about thinking about inclusive design as being good design for everybody. And and our main ethos is you shouldn't have an accessible or inclusive area and a non-accessible or inclusive area. This should just run through everything a business does when they're thinking about their built environment. Yeah, because I used to work in digital accessibility at the BBC and one of our sort of design principles was that if you create a digital experience for disabled users, end users, or people with cognitive impairments, or if you think about the outlier case studies, you actually end up making the product better overall for everybody by thinking about the needs and requirements of disabled people and how they might be using the digital product or service. Now, on this podcast, we have run previous episodes around inclusive design. Most recently, I interviewed Professor Pippa Cattrall, who works at University of Westminster. She collaborated with Arup to create a report called Queering Public Spaces. And that was all about how to create LGBT plus friendly built environment. And actually, we had an interesting conversation about how a lot of the principles or the findings in her report applied to disabled people as well. So if you're listening to us right now, I would definitely recommend going back a few episodes to to catch up with that conversation um, with Pippa and to download the report um, that she has written as well. So Ed, I know that you work with some really interesting clients and you've done some fascinating projects. Um, In fact, I've stayed in one of your projects and was really impressed with the inclusive design of it, which is a hotel in Manchester. They've also got a hotel in Leicester, so Hotel Brooklyn. Let's talk about, first of all, Barclays and the work that you've done with them. Could you just let us know about your your project with Barclays? Um, Just before I do, Toby, I just wanted to further support your comment on, on intersectionality between protected characteristics. Yeah, please do. And you're you're absolutely right that you can't look at at one particular um, group or or, or design for a a certain group of people in isolation. So many people represent many different needs within different groups and, 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 and thinking about intersectionality within the built environment is a really key consideration when when designing inclusive environments. The work we've done with Barclays has have been really kind of groundbreaking in terms of uh, workplace design. So Barclays engaged Motion Spot as um, inclusive design consultants on a new 500,000 square foot campus in Glasgow. And they initially engaged us because they were uh, recruiting a number of individuals into very technical roles who were neurodivergent. And they realized they wanted to ensure that they designed the office appropriately for um, neurodivergent staff. But when we started to have the conversation and it's sort of connected to what we were saying about the intersectionality, you you can't just design 
an area of the office for neurodivergence, you've got to consider um, other elements within within that as well. So um, we were engaged at the early stages to help um, set the inclusive design strategy on that development and then work alongside Barclays and uh, their architect, Gensler, uh, as well as a number of other interior designers that were responsible for the fit out to provide advice at all stages of the design process. So that wasn't just about making sure the layout of the building was right and the circulation space was right, but it's it's the really kind of granular detail of the fixtures and finishes that makes such a difference when it comes to inclusive design. So some small things like uh, thinking about um, transition spaces in their main reception area. If people are coming into the building, lots of people want time to be able to just compose themselves before going and having a conversation at the reception desk. So, so having the necessary space uh, within their reception lobby for an area of seating um, for people to sort of just recalibrate before uh, going and having that conversation. Um, as you say, making sure that reception desks not only have hearing loops, but you know have the necessary um, uh, heights of, of reception desk for uh, someone who may be a wheelchair user or shorter in stature. Uh, and then principles like colour contrast, making sure floors and walls contrast uh, sufficiently. So if someone has a, a visual impairment, they're able to define where they are in, in the space, uh, looking at introducing lots of biophilia, planting um, and natural materials, which is particularly good for uh, autistic employees, as, as an example. Um, but then, you know, lots of small design principles like uh, design of quiet spaces, of multi-faith rooms, of you know, um, separating halal and, and and kosher food within staff kitchenettes and thinking about principles like lighting and acoustics and materiality all come together to design a, a more inclusive and accessible environment for staff and visitors at Barclays. And what's really interesting about that particular project is they did a return on investment case study 12 months after uh, completing the project, and they found that for every one pound they spent on inclusive design, saved them a hundred pounds in later stage workplace adjustments, which is a really powerful case study to say, you know, if you're just thinking about this at the right stage, it's not just the right thing to do for your people, but it's financially beneficial too. So was that because they had considered this from the outset of the project rather than try and retrofit it at the end? Absolutely. Yeah. If, if it's considered from the outset in, in terms of the overall scale of, of the development and, and the costs associated with development, it just doesn't even feature um, as, as a line item. Where inclusive design gets more expensive is when you're trying to retrofit adaptations and, and, and improvements within, within spaces after they're built. It's all about considering at the very earliest stages. And presumably, if you're considering it from the outset of the project, you, you can make a much more of an elegant solution as well because if you try and retrofit something at the end it's just like you know you're you're just trying to wedge something on at the end aren't you it's just gonna it's just gonna stick out and look ugly whereas if you can kind of think about how accessibility can be designed in from the beginning it's a lot more yeah you just come up with a much more beautiful design i imagine Absolutely right. And we always say the best inclusive design is design that you don't necessarily see or realise. 
it's just embedded in the structure of of the building or space it's those retrofits and those kind of last minute thoughts and actions that that do stick out and do tend to be the the sort of more medical looking second best facilities and you know we've got an amazing design community that are hugely creative and it's about empowering designers who are who are creating these spaces to to think about who they're designing for think about the impact of their design and to make sure that those spaces are as beautiful as any other yeah i remember i went to a, i went to a really nice hotel in london that had just been refurbished and i had a look around the accessible bedroom and in the bathroom the grab rails when they were folded up they just blended into the wall and it just looked like a a nice chrome strip in the wall and if you did need the grab rails you could pull them down but otherwise they were kind of blended into the the design of the bathroom it was a really swish hotel i thought it was a lovely environment because the majority of accessible bathrooms in the hotels are ugly you know they're using ugly plastic lino flooring really cheap looking white plastic grab rails i mean it's like it's like staying in a hospital rather than staying in a hotel talking of hotels um that was one of your other clients wasn't it hotel brooklyn which i've stayed in before they've got a hotel in manchester near me they've recently opened a hotel in leicester and i believe not sure if this is correct correct me if i'm wrong they might be thinking or they are building another hotel maybe liverpool i can't remember Yes, so so Hotel Brooklyn um, have have got their hotels in Manchester and Leicester, and with a with a new hotel being planned uh, in the future in in Liverpool. Hotel Brooklyn is a is a great example of a hotel operator that has really tried to push the boundaries when it comes to thinking about accessible design. And we were given a really uh, amazing brief back in 2017, and 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 the brief from uh, Robin Shepherd, who's chairman of Bespoke Hotels, was to redefine the experience of disabled guests within Hotel Brooklyn, because he was very aware that, as you said already, Toby, you know, the design of accessible rooms is just has just always been so second and best in 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 the hospitality industry. Uh, so we set about with um, Hotel Brooklyn's interior designer and architects to really look at how we could do something very different when designing um, the hotel in Manchester. So it's a 190 bedroom hotel. Uh, 18 of those bedrooms are accessible with features like interconnecting rooms, which are really important for um, a number of disabled people who are traveling with with carers and want want those individuals to be close, but uh, not in the same room. Uh, designing features like really beautiful open plan uh, wet room bathrooms with the types of fixtures and fittings that you've been describing in the Swish Hotel you stayed in in London. You know, there's so much amazing product design going on at the moment in this space. And it's about blending the right uh, collection of products together to deliver that accessibility, but also the function that disabled people need within those bathrooms. Integrating clever technology like the ability to control curtains and lighting and and heating and other controls uh, all from one point uh, by the bed. Uh, we designed out the red pull cord alarm system, which uh, is, is in all accessible bathrooms and should also be in accessible hotel bedrooms and designed in a BSA 300 compliant 
um, system of push buttons that are mounted at the same heights as the red bangles uh, at 900 and 100 millimeters from the floor. Um, and two of the rooms had an amazing ceiling track hoist feature. Um, and there are very few hotels in the UK that have ceiling track hoists because they're quite medical looking in their appearance and hotel um, owners find it very difficult selling those rooms to guests who don't require a hoist. So what we did was we recessed the ceiling track hoist into the ceiling and we made a lighting detail out of that um, hoist track and we hid the hoist motor within a bit of joinery. So at the press of a button, this hoist comes out and is able to able to pivot someone from the bed into uh, a wheelchair or mobile shower commode. And for so many people, as you know, and our co-founder is is one of those people. James is, you know, six foot four. His wife is is five foot three. And and he needs that uh, ability, the, the hoist, to be able to uh, get him out of bed into a wheelchair. So it's just opened up. It opened up the opportunity for so many people to enjoy a hotel experience in a environment and setting that is as high class as as any other of the the rooms in in that hotel. And similar to Barclays, uh, Hotel Brooklyn also looked at the financials around what accessibility meant to them from a bottom line perspective. And amazingly, they found that the 18 accessible rooms were the most popular of all their 190 rooms in the hotel. Those rooms delivered them an additional £220,000 of profit in the first year of trading. Within that, I think there was an additional £85,000 of event revenue from uh, events that were were, were, were organised by uh, the disability industry. So it, it just goes to show, again, this is this is financially the right thing to do, as well as socially and morally being the right thing to do. Yeah, I think I'm I'm within those statistics because the reason why I know Hotel Brooklyn is because that that's the hotel that I use when I'm organizing client events and training in Manchester because of the accessibility of the hotel, any clients that need an accessible room, but also just the general inclusivity of the hotel experience from the training that the staff have been through in terms of how they welcome guests and things like that. It's just a much more inclusive experience so they're they're really leading the way i know that post pandemic a lot of organizations have been refurbishing relocating downsizing and redesigning their workplaces because the way that we work has has changed post covid-19 so what's your advice to a chief people officer if they are doing a refurb or they're relocating people or they're, you know, they're reducing their office footprint or they're redesigning their workspaces in any way? I think the first thing, the first advice that I'd give is to understand the challenges of your people. The best companies out there are those that are listening to the needs of, of employees, but also visitors into their spaces and and really understanding some of the challenges within the built environment. You know, there's some really successful examples of employee resource groups who are coming together to be able to give their feedback on, on, on different challenges within workplaces. But even if you're of a you know, smaller business size and you don't have ERGs, just, just being able to, to listen to those voices is, is the first recommendation I'd give. 
The second one is to look at engaging specialist advice at the earliest stage. And we've heard already how important it is to bring inclusive design at that early stage um, to help set the sort of inclusive design strategy of that refurbishment or a new build or, or a move that's being made. And and when I say inclusive design strategy, it doesn't have to be, you know, a hugely overwhelming project. Uh, you know, there are so many quick wins that can be made at little to no cost within workplaces that will make such a fundamental difference to your staff and visitors. And then making sure that throughout the design and build process, there is a specialist that is is kind of, we call it an inclusive design guardian role. So if decisions are being made in the design team or contractors are making decisions on site, you've at least got someone there being able to, to influence in the right way and question whether some of the um, design changes that are being made are going to be appropriate and, and, and suit the needs of your staff. And, and you mentioned it with Hotel Brooklyn. We always say a building is only as accessible as the people who operate it. So making sure that once you know your building is is ready and your staff are, are ready to move in, the people who are operating these spaces are aware of the inclusive design features that have been designed in, because it's only through that communication process that you're going to create the right accessible and inclusive space. Brilliant. And what resources do you have that's freely available that that might support today's listener on their inclusive journey? So there are a few that. I'd point listeners towards uh, on the MotionSpot website. There's a really good white paper download around inclusive design principles, uh, which gives an introduction to inclusive design and the types of high level principles to be considering. There's also a, a really good publication that uh, MotionSpot were involved in co-authoring called the Reba Inclusive Design Overlay, which was published in July of this year. And uh, that is a guide for all clients, architects, developers, and asset managers and project managers to encourage them to be thinking about inclusive design at all uh, at all stages. So have a look at the MotionSpot white paper download as well as the Reba inclusive design overlay. Brilliant. Thank you. Now, before you go, Ed, everybody gets this question. What does inclusive growth mean for you? Inclusive growth for me is all about creating environments that are accessible, safe and welcoming for everybody, where we can create a sense of belonging within the built environment, ensuring that everybody can bring their best to work at any time. Brilliant. Love it. Now, um, thanks ever so much for Ed for, for joining us today. It's been lovely to catch up with you. Um, it'll be great to record another episode with you and to hear some more interesting client case studies because uh, I think they're really rich. So thank, thanks, Ed, for, for joining us. Great to be part of it. Thanks, Toby. And thank you for tuning in today's episode of the Inclusive Growth Podcast. We've learned a lot today. So we've learned about the importance of thinking holistically about inclusive design. The inclusive design is, is much more than physical accessibility for people with physical disabilities and with ramps and lifts and things like that. So we need to think more broadly around how that also intersects with other identities. So making somewhere inclusive and accessible for LGBT individuals as well as as disabled folk, for instance. We've had some really interesting case studies and actually how considering inclusive design from the outset of the project 
yields a really good return on investment. We've had some really staggering ROI from the likes of Barclays Bank and Hotel Brooklyn. And then also some just really practical advice on how you can get started by starting by listening to the the needs and requirements of people working in your organization um, and following some of the inclusive design principles, which you can download from the Motion Spot website. So thanks ever so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the show, which will be coming up very soon. Take care of yourself. And goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Inclusive Growth Show. For further information and resources from Toby and his team, head on over to our website at milden.co.uk.